Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Neto Chimani. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, DRC opposition leader Jean-Pierre Bemba returns home and Zimbabwe's president says sale of ivory stocks could fund conservation. In economics news, Namibia and Germany signed financial cooperation agreement and in sports news, Ivory Coast begin the over South Africa. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The man accused of trying to seize control of Ethiopia's northern Amhara region is on the run with some of his supporters. Government, however, says a number of other plotters have been arrested. General Assam Nusige allegedly masterminded gun attacks that killed four people, including the National Army's Chief of Staff and Amhara State President on Saturday night. The attacks are believed to be linked to a coup in the northern region. More than 600,000 children in Cameroon have been unable to go to school for the past three years. English-speaking parts of the country have been shut have been affected following and order by Anglophone separatists that schools be shut down. United Nations Children's Agency UNICEF says about 80% of schools in English-speaking Cameroon are closed, with more than 70 destroyed. Dozens of students and teachers have been kidnapped. Anglophone militants have been fighting for a separate state named Ambazonia for the past few years. South Africa's ruling ANC says no one has the right to threaten another person. The party has opened a case of incitement of violence against Afrikaans artist Steve Hofmeyer at the Johannesburg Central Police Station. Hofmeyer threatened South Africa's ambassador to Denmark, Zinzi Mandela, and opposition DA MP Pumzile Van Dam on Twitter. He said Mandela and Van Dam would die if they took the land that belonged to him and fellow South Africans. ANC spokesperson Pulemabe spoke outside the police station. We know that uh, there could have been others that were unhappy by the statements that were made by uh, our ambassador to uh, Denmark, Ambassador Zirinzi Mandela Tongwane. But even with that, no one has got a right to say that they are going to kill others. It doesn't matter. Whether they are white or black, they don't have that right. The man expected to become Britain's next Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, says he's confident he can broker a new agreement with the European Union. He says this is possible because politics in both Britain and the EU have changed so much since the original deadline for Brexit. On our side of the channel, we've got MPs in both the major parties who recognise that their parties face real danger of extinction at the polls, and Labour went backwards in the recent council elections, unless we get Brexit over the line. 
And finally, Tanzanians are debating a new bill that is going through Parliament that critics say could stifle freedom of expression. What is called the Special Bill Supplement has amendments to laws concerning foreign companies and charities filming in the country, among other issues. The bill, if passed, would require foreign filmmakers to submit their raw footage to the Tanzanian Film Board. They would also have to sign a prescribed clearance form before exiting Tanzania. There are concerns that this could restrict what people can film in the country. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza, Africa, Amuka, Na Unai. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. DRC opposition leader Jean-Pierre Bemba has called on people to continue supporting the Lamuka coalition. Police fired tear gas at protesters against a visit on Sunday by Bemba, who made a low-key return home, flying in from Brussels on a private jet. Bemba's allies said he had returned to the DRC to lend support to another opposition figure, Martin Fayulu, who maintains he was robbed of victory in last December's presidential election. Januel Bomweze reports from Kinshasa. The leader of the movement of liberation of Congo, Jean-Pierre Bemba, who is also a former senator and a former deputy president of this country, was welcomed by a big crowd at the Njiri International Airport as he returned from Brussels on Sunday. Speaking to his supporters and other Congolese at a meeting few hours after his arrival, Jean-Pierre Bemba emphasized the serious problems facing this country, including corruption, tribalism, unemployment and injustice. He then called on Congolese to continue supporting the opposition coalition well known as Lamuka by demanding the Paul's truth as this coalition never accepted the current president Felix Tshisekedi was the winner of last December election. Jean-Pierre Bemba. Regarding the Paul's truth, we decided to fight for this immediately after elections as Lamuka coalition fights for the people's interest. We must demonstrate demonstrate peacefully for democracy according to the constitution. Jean-Pierre Bemba was one of the candidates to compete for last December presidential election, but his name was not on the list the Independent National Electoral Commission released. He was kicked off after the International Criminal Court found him guilty of bribing witnesses. He stayed shortly here in Kinshasa in August and went to Brussels in Belgium where he was staying until he came back here on Sunday, he stated that he has returned home in order to be part of the Democratic Republic of Congo's Republican opposition. And indeed, people on the ruling coalition side have welcomed Bemba's returning home as any Congolese who's ready to work for the country. This youth committee member of the ruling party, the Union for Democracy and Social Progress, UDP, said they are all happy. Bevon Mukunai. Tisekere said, Jumper member, you're a Congo 
goal is you have to come here. This is your country. There is no one who can refuse uh, your presence in this country. Re start with everything that you were doing before. There is no problem. That's why uh, we are very happy to receive again Jean-Pierre Mbemba in uh, this country. We are very happy as a UDPS member because we know some strategy that they can try to rule. We know sometimes our president was really blockade, was not working very well. Even though the former president is afraid of Jean-Pierre Bemba, that's why he was refusing to receive Jean-Pierre Bemba in his country. And so he's very happy. He said uh, he has to come here so that they have to rule very well this country. We are very happy with this presence here. Meanwhile, so many Congolese on the ground are no more ready to support political actors as they believe the DRC politicians fight for positions just for their own interest and not for people's interests. I met one of those disappointed Congolese who's a well-educated person and ready to work but can't get a job. And the only thing he's expecting is peace. John John Kayembe expressed the big emotion and told the Channel Africa he's afraid Jean-Pierre Bemba has come to make trouble here. I'm not happy about the politics for DRC. I'm not happy. The Jean-Pierre Bemba, what he coming to do again? He's supposed to stay here to leave his friend, his president now. What he coming to do here? To make trouble again? I need quiet here in DRC. He came here before. He went. He didn't ask the people I'm going. He just ran away like that. Now him, you want to come in again today. What he came to do here in the DRC? To make trouble again? I need the quiet. I need the quiet in my country. Because the people is angry, need the food. I need the proper organization to doing. I need the food. I don't have food. I don't have job. I don't know what can I can say about uh, this country. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. He just bring other complications. If he came again, I think uh, Fayulu to You're be right. together and Fayulu to make it trouble. He's supposed to leave the people quiet. You must wait next time. If you get a chance to win, you can win too. I need always Congolese be quiet. And as far as trouble is concerned, indeed, Jean-Pierre Bemba's supporters clashed with police while taking Bemba to the rally scene and police used the tear gas to control the situation. Meanwhile, the Lamuka coalition has announced a demonstration next Sunday to demand the police truth and for constitutional court to rehabilitate Lamuka's MPs who have been invalidated. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. South Africa's opposition, the Democratic Alliance, has reiterated its stance that it wants to hold the country's president, Sol Ramaphosa, accountable for possible money laundering. This in relation to the 500,000 rand donation by Busasa into his 2017 presidential campaign. This after media reports said that the party had distanced itself from such a probe. Mkwebani extended the scope of the investigation to also look into allegations of money laundering. Marco reports. Yet another twist in Ramaphosa's investigation by public protector Busisiwe Mkwebane in a statement. Mkwebane says she is shocked to learn through the media that the DA and some of the CR17 campaign managers claim she was never asked to investigate these allegations. On Sunday, one of the campaign managers slammed the allegations as bizarre and baseless. Mkwebane insists that she met with DA leader Musi Maimane on two occasions to discuss the terms. She says she's concerned about how some media houses are handling the matter. Dieleda Musi Maimane agrees. The public protector must simply release the report on the president. 
This report must give clarity about whether or not the president misled parliament, whether the donation given to him uh, was money to benefit his son's company, and that ultimately all of these other investigations on money laundering are well within the public's protector's right to expand her investigation. The DA itself is only seeking to get clarity on her report. The DA launched a complaint in November last year among the issues it once investigated is the relationship between Ramaphosa, his family and the African Global Operations, formerly known as Busasa, to be investigated. And whether the president lied to parliament about the half a million rent payment, public protector spokesperson Opa Sekhalwe has confirmed the investigation will continue. But we have also noted that the DA uh, and Mr. Maimani in particular have since uh, issued a statement uh, to correct that uh, particular matter to state and confirm that uh, indeed the public protector was asked by Mr. Maimani to look into uh, the issue of money laundering. And the ANC is throwing its weight behind the president. Here is national spokesperson Pule Mabe. The president of the ANC, who is also the president of the republic, must be given space to lead. We have got confidence in our president and we believe that the state of the nation's address that is stable to the public is one that will be able to allow us to make this country great again. On Friday, the public protector confirmed it had granted Ramaphosa an extension to respond to the matter after he missed the initial deadline. I'm Abongile Tumago in Johannesburg. Alliance partners in South Africa's Free State province have called on the ruling ANC to act decisively against corruption in the province. The partners say corruption has impacted negatively on governance and ethical leadership. The ANC in the Free State has convened a two-day meeting which began on Monday. Tabiso Khadebe reports. The ANC in the Free State has been divided, having to defend several court action against disgruntled party members who condemned factionalism within the ranks. Alliance partners are wary of the tough task as the sixth administration gets underway. Free State SACP Secretary Beck Estofile did not mince his words. Corruption, it means you take the last penny that was meant to be uh, um, changing the life of ordinary citizens who slept yesterday without food and squander that money to pursue the interest of individuals who happen to be a leader. And unfortunately, as, as South African Communist Party, unapologetically on this matter and many other matters that affect our communities, we won't keep quiet on that. Uh, it, it same apply to our call that individuals that have found committing serious crime and atrocities to our communities must go to jail. Free State Kosatu Secretary Munyato Mahlazi has bemoaned high levels of unemployment in the province. We have serious challenges and one of our main challenges is that workers are paid late and many, in many instances third parties are not being paid in a form of provident funds of workers, UIF and other forms uh, of uh, you know, payments that have to be made. There are a number of things that we are worried about, and on top of it is the issue of unemployment, particularly of the youth, and also the issue of poverty from across our, our province. Sanko chairperson in the Free State, Lakipoko, 
concurs. It's all about service delivery. We have seen that prior elections there were a number of violent protests throughout our, our province. In, at the center of those violent protests was service delivery, poor service delivery. So today, SMG are going to make it a point that all who must take care of that position of service delivery to our people does happen because we said we are no more going to listen to the rhetoric. What we want to hear today is decisions when and how as per municipality. Look, we have almost four of our municipalities that are under section 139 and those municipalities must be able to can get off 139 so that they are able to sustain themselves. Free State ANC Chairperson Sam Mashinini says they have noted the concerns raised and will deliberate on them. You know that this Lakota comes immediately after the local government elections. I mean, say yes, the national and provincial elections. And in those campaigns, our people informed us to say we have these challenges. The Lakota seeks to say, paint a picture of what the people said. You will highlight areas of weaknesses. In that process, you will highlight areas of challenges. And after that, you must then together and jointly, collectively, emerge with a process of saying this is how we are going to deal with x this is how we are going to deal with y the two daily hota will focus on the anc's performance during the elections and develop plans to aid government's implementation strategy i'm tabiso khadebe in bloemfontein a state capture commission of inquiry in South Africa has heard evidence on how a cash transit company did not fully comply with the Financial Intelligence Center Act, FICA. Owner of the now liquidated asset movement financial services, Calandra Falyun, said she was not aware of sections of the FICA regulation which aim to prevent money laundering. The company's failure to comply means that it facilitated money laundering. Tsepo Mungwai reports. The Commission has heard how companies operating as cash delivery entities facilitated money laundering. Owner of Asset Movement Financial Services, Kalandra Feldjun, admitted to the Commission that one of her major clients, George Marquitas, used the entity to move millions of rand in unlawfully obtained funds. Marquitas was able to use AMFS to move over 20 million rand. Feljun told the commission that she was misled by Marquitas, who had told her that the funds from a northwest-based company, Koroneka, came from his own account. Koroneka was contracted by SA Express to provide ground services at Pilansbeck and Mahiking Airport. Evidence leader advocate Kate Hofmeyer has recommended an investigation into cash transit companies. What we have established through this evidence is that There was an operation carrying at its peak more than half a billion rands of funds. And if this commission is to have some chance of establishing where some of the public funds that we know were unlawfully uh, obtained ended up, it may well be that these types of entities need to be investigated further. Falyun told the commission that she was not aware of various regulations affecting her industry to keep money laundering. The company also delivered cash to some of its clients without verifying the source of funds. In its two years of existence, it delivered over 500 million rand a month to various companies. Falyun told the commission that she was not aware of various FICA regulations. She told the commission that she simply trusted some of her clients. If, if they, they seemed like a real business, um, if they seemed 
that feeling you get inside of you that everything's okay. <laughs> and you had a bit of a discussion and then you got a feeling about whether it was a legitimate business and on that basis you'd continue to uh, conduct business with them. That's right, Jane. Um, and are you aware under FICA of your obligations to establish the source of funds of any business that you enter into a business transaction with? No, Jane. Not aware of that? No, Jane. The Commission will hear evidence relating to jet fuel procurement from EML Energy. SA Express Airport Coordinator Esther Locke is scheduled to continue testifying at the Judicial Commission. The Commission is also expected to hear aviation-related testimony from SAA Fuel Management Head Mark Vaughan. I am Tsepo Mungwai in Johannesburg. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective Morocco is a place where millions of people travel for holidays each year from around the world. It has historically been one of the most stable places in the Arab world. But a new survey carried out for BBC News Arabic by the Arab Barometer Research Network indicates a surge in calls for rapid political change. The BBC's Reda Al-Mawi has been finding out why Moroccans, particularly young Moroccans, are calling for a change in government. From the rooftop of an old building in Casablanca, Saleh is looking at the sea on the horizon. He's in his 20s now. He's one of many Moroccans who followed their dream of crossing the Mediterranean to the other side, to Europe. People go there for certain things that we don't have here, like freedom. After years in which desire amongst Moroccans to emigrate had declined, it's on the rise once more. The desire for sudden political change in Morocco is greater than in any other part of the region, according to the survey for BBC News Arabic. There are many things, like respect. There is no care here in Morocco for the population. It's the lack of care, I can say, that makes people migrate. The survey results indicate 70% of adults under 30 say they are considering leaving the country. Saleh came back from Europe last year when his bid for citizenship in Germany was denied. He believes Morocco has a long way to go to match opportunities in Europe. Transport, health, education. These needs to be fixed. We can't wait years or more. This needs to be fixed now, straight away. Abdallah Barnouni, a retired accountant, is preparing tea for his family. 
Today's generation, today's kids want to get there quickly. They want everything quickly, the car, the house, the job. They want to quickly reach a high standard of living. Looking on, his daughter Khadija, a student, agrees. There is a difference between the older generation and ours. Like we are more free to talk. You can study anything you want. There are more subjects in our time than they were before. Morocco is one of the region's monarchies, and royalty has proved more resilient to the waves of protests that have affected the region. I am in a street where, in 2011, Moroccans were calling for reforms inspired by the Arab uprisings across the region. But the wars that broke out after the Arab Spring discouraged many Moroccans from asking for radical change. Today, there is a very different mood in the country, with almost half the population saying they want immediate change now. Most of the people we spoke to would not go as far as to criticize the monarchy, rather the country's government and other institutions. But the once unthinkable is now being talked about by some. Controlling the economy by not separating it from politics can lead to a catastrophe, including rejection of the monarchy itself. Abdelatif Fadwash is a journalist and political activist who runs an opposition newspaper in Casablanca. He says there is frustration that promised political changes were never implemented. At any moment, Morocco can witness what happened in Algeria and Sudan and before it in Syria or Egypt or Libya or Tunisia. Morocco feels like two countries. The stable place of Abdullah, which was spared the domino effect of the Arab uprisings, and that of the growing population under 30, filled with aspirations but also political unhappiness. Bringing them together is the challenge ahead for Morocco's rulers. That report by the BBC's Reda Al-Mawi. South African leaders are calling for the Global Environmental Agency CITES to change its laws regarding the trade of wildlife products. Presidents of Zimbabwe, Namibia, Zambia and Botswana made the call at the UNAU Wildlife Economy Summit currently underway at Victoria Falls. The summit is aimed at looking at how wildlife resources can turn around African economies. Noma Bolani reports. Zimbabwean President Emerson Nagaga wants there to be a review of the laws that forbid the trade of wildlife products. Currently, Zimbabwe is sitting with a stockpile of ivory that's worth more than $600 million. He says that CITES policies can't be a one-size-fits-all. The banning of trade is creeping into the CITES decision-making processes. We call upon the institution to resist the temptation of being a policing institution and instead be a developmental one which promotes the intricate balance between conservation and sustainable utilization of all wildlife resources. In relation to the conservation of elephants, the savannah elephants, which are predominantly found in southern Africa, constitute approximately 50% of the continent's elephant species in southern Africa. But my take would be a little bit different. Haige Gaimkop, the Namibian president, says it's concerning 
that it seems that the West are more worried about the rights of animals versus the rights of human beings, especially in developing countries. He says there needs to be a shift to recognize the needs of people living in areas with wildlife. And these animals are sometimes many because, as the president said, because of our good governance, because of our good conservancy uh, policies, and also preserving our animals that they multiplied and they are now many because of good management. Now when we have them, we are saying, can we use them so that people who are there with them can be protected to build good houses for them by selling some of the things that ought to be sold so that we can, it can benefit the communities. Because communities have the rights too. But some people really believe that animals have more rights. So what do we do? We have a crisis now in Namibia, as you know, that there is a human-animal conflict. That's a big, big problem. Now people whose millifields are destroyed by animals, by, by elephants, want compensation. Where do you compensate them from? But if you could sell some of these Ivory, in a controlled way, use that in a kind of a rim fence way that's going to go to maintaining those people's properties, build, rebuilding their houses, building fences and so on. That could be the way we can address people's rights already. Saiti says the issues being raised during the summit should also be brought up during the conference of parties that will take place in August in Switzerland. Secretary General Yvonne Higuero says member states are the ones with the power to amend the laws that are in place. Uh, the decision making is done by the 183 parties who are part of, uh, who have signatories to the convention. And the proposals that are being made here at the summit are similar to the proposals that they have put forth uh, for the next COP18, which will be uh, taking place in Geneva in, from 17th of August to the 28th of August. Uh, the countries that have put these proposals forward, like Zimbabwe, Botswana, Namibia, um, are the ones who are requesting that uh, they have a change in the conditions that have been placed on African elephant uh, to be able to allow international trade, for example, in ivory. Uh, Zambia has requested that they have their African elephant populations downlisted to Appendix 2, as they are for these other, for, these other countries that have put the proposal forward, uh, so they would be able to also have uh, trade in ivory as part of, the, as part of their, as, in a commercial, commercial trade of ivory. The summits will continue on Wednesday where leaders and experts will discuss how they can use wildlife to better the local economies. Noma Polani, SABC News. The world remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela day. It is in your hands to make a difference. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the man accused of trying to seize control of Ethiopia's northern Amhara region is on the run with some of his supporters. The United Nations Children's Fund says more than 600,000 children in Cameroon have been unable to go to school for the past three years. And the Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Javed Zarif says politicians close to the U.S. President Donald Trump despises diplomacy and thirst for war. Those are the stories making headlines. Scientists from around the world are meeting in Germany to discuss how to make money from carbon dioxide. They want to transform some of the carbon dioxide that's overheating the planet into products to benefit humanity instead. They're not claiming the technology will solve climate change, but they insist it will help. Carbon dioxide is already being used to help create fuels, polymers, fertilizers, proteins, foams and building blocks. The BBC's Roger Harabin visited three firms across England and sent this report. Making a profit out of using CO2 is the holy grail of climate change technology. Slowly, slowly, it's starting to happen. Here's example number one. Turning CO2 into building blocks. Yes, building blocks. In Leeds, there's a firm making blocks with CO2. This sounds unlikely, but they mix the CO2 with ash from the chimney of a waste incinerator. To make the blocks involves this awesome bit of chemistry. I'm standing with a table, a bottle, a canister of CO2 and a block, a building block. Inside my bottle, there is some incinerator ash mixed with water. And I'm going to fill the bottle up with carbon dioxide. going to give it a shake and already I can feel it's getting hot I don't know if you can hear but wow the bottle is just collapsing on itself it's really hot at the base and what's happening is that all the carbon dioxide is being absorbed by the ash and turning it into a solid where it is no harm to anyone This clever chemistry is now operating on an industrial scale. Steve Gregg from Carbon 8 Aggregates says they're already exporting the technology. There's a lot of technologies that are trying to do things differently with carbon dioxide. Here, we're taking carbon dioxide, we're treating a waste and making a limestone. And there are other companies that are doing all manner of different things with carbon dioxide. So if we can treat it as a resource rather than a waste, there's huge opportunities for carbon dioxide use. Solution number two. Turning CO2 from a biodigester into bubbles for fizzy drinks. The horses at Newmarket races generate tons of manure combined with straw from their stables. The ripe-smelling wastes are piled up outdoors at this biodigester plant in Suffolk. The great tanks are full of bugs that feed on the straw and horse muck mixture. These bugs produce two gases. One, methane, is taken to feed the gas grid that heats people's homes. The other gas is CO2, normally released into the atmosphere, but here separated, captured in tanks and sold. Charlie Fillingham from Strutt and Parker Farms has worked hard to make his CO2 food standard. 
Well, having produced the raw biogas, what we really needed to do was to manufacture the CO2 to market standards. That meant food and drink standard. So what we've installed here are a very high quality membranes and pumping technology to be able to purify and clean up the CO2 to food and drink standard. If you drop in for a lager or a lemonade at a pub in the east of England, it's likely that the bubbles in your glass could have originated in horse dung. <laughs> Although you really can't tell. Solution number three. Turning CO2 into a quality fertiliser. The first ingredient is fibrous waste left after cow dung and maize have been fed into a biogas digester. This stuff is low in nutrients, little use to put on crops. So the firm adds a liquid waste from the fertiliser industry along with other nutrients and, crucially, CO2. At the end of the process, you get little pellets of top-class fertiliser. Peter Hammond, the inventor, is delighted. What's most satisfying for us is to take a material like carbon dioxide, which is fundamentally useless as far as most people are concerned and positively harmful, and then transform that into something that is beneficial. Of course, these three schemes won't even dent that great blanket of CO2 in the atmosphere. Wow. But they do offer a tantalising taste of what clever science can do. That report by the BBC's Roger Harabin. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature programme that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective, can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours, Thursday at 300 hours, and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa, a programme that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa. The Institute for the Healing of Memories is holding a three-day conference in Cape Town to deal with issues of generational systemic injustices. Affected families as well as victims of apartheid-era crimes are attending the conference and sharing their stories. Lulama Matya reports. The Institute promotes healing and moving forward from a painful past or experience. The three-day conference is not only attended by victims of the South African apartheid regime, but also people from other African countries. The Institute's program manager, Fatima Swartz, elaborates. We have a history where there has been um, systemic violence, um, in not just politically, but also patriarchy, economically, and it has damaged people greatly. The Institute says it also wants a review of some of the unfinished or false findings of apartheid-era crimes. Director Father Michael Lepsey is calling on government to help them to assist the families of the deceased victims. Even as we uh, aggressively um, tackle issues of unemployment inequality, uh, we also need to, to deal with our pain. And I think the president can help lead us in that national conversation, but also make resources available for those working in the psychological, emotional and spiritual healing so that we can fully play our part on helping to heal this nation. The family of the anti-apartheid activist 
Imam Abdul Heron, who died in police custody in 1969, say they want his case to be reviewed. His daughter Fatima Heron Masood says they want closure because the explanation they were given does not make sense. The findings of that inquest said that he found down, he died from falling down a, a flight of stairs. And for us, that never resonated in our heart because when he came home, his body was full of bruises. There was 28 bruises on his body. So that bruises could not have just come about falling down four steps. These families also have written to President Cyril Ramaphosa, calling on him to establish a commission of inquiry to investigate what they say is the suppression of hundreds of truth and reconciliation cases. They say more than 300 TRC cases were ignored and forwarded to the National Prosecuting Authority for Investigation. Lula Mamaika in Cape Town. The Commission for Gender Equality in South Africa demands answers about the poor state of shelters that accommodate victims of domestic violence in the country. They want the Departments of Social Development and Human Settlements to account for the lack of funding and deteriorating state of these facilities. The Commission launched an investigative report on the state of the shelters in the country, sampling three shelters in each province over the past year. Tabi Lembele reports. The Commission for Gender Equality says it has become essential to assess the conditions of these shelters amidst the increase in gender-based violence in the country. Acting Chairperson of the Commission, Tamara Matebula. If we can take you to those infrastructures that we went to, they are debilitated, they are cold, they, it's just you know basic, basic infrastructure that is there, beds are single, so there is quite a lot that needs to be improved in terms of making sure that these shelters are able to accommodate women and children who are running away from bad situations at home. The investigation found, among others, that victims face secondary victimization at these shelters, there's no counseling and there's inadequate funding of these facilities. Ntabise Muleko is a commissioner at CGE. The president himself has announced that GBV is a national crisis. Mm-hmm. There are indicators, whether you look at protection orders per year that are released, over 250,000. If you look at the number of rapes and incidents of rapes, South Africa has the highest per 100,000. If you look at the incidents of femicide, we are five times greater than the average globally higher. Um, and so these centers are critical and the detail is in the budget allocation. And the seriousness that the state takes um, towards the issue of GBV is seen in the allocation of its budget. Matebula says members of the LGBTIQ community are also stigmatized at these centers. There was a complaint about you know, an LGBTIQ person who could not actually fit properly in the, in the shelter because uh, she was neither not known whether she was a woman or a man. So those situations, again, have not actually been factored or looked into in terms of designing the shelters themselves uh, when you look at you know, the toilets, uh, the sleeping area. The Commission now wants the heads of the Social Development and Human Settlement Departments to be held accountable for the current state of these shelters. It also wants standardized framework on the allocation of funds for shelters. I'm Tabi Lempel in Johannesburg.
South African songbird Shoma Josie, who scooped the Best New International Act at the BET Awards in Los Angeles, has urged young girls to believe in themselves irrespective of their backgrounds. While accepting her award during the weekend, the singer said this proved that anyone can be a superstar. Horasana Sitole reports. When Shoma Jose released the Davis song Village Dreams two years ago, little did she know that music would take her this far. But the Limpopo girl continued to pursue her dreams. My story is a testament that you can be from any village, in any forgotten part of the world, and you can still be a superstar. Her hit song Huku, which is sung in Swahili, mixed with her home language of Shitsonga, became very popular. It continues to receive airplay locally and internationally. It even made it to one of the NBA matches. For the girls that come from where I'm from, which is Limpopo, I just want to say, um, you don't have to change who you are and you can still be big. Last year, Shoma Josie dropped the 12-track studio album Limpopo Champions League. She also appeared in a local drama, Isitembiso on Mzanzi Magic. The BET Award was the latest this year. Recently, she won Summers for Female Artist of the Year and Newcomer of the Year. In her album, Majosi worked with talented producers such as PH and Tiboida Flame, a third-year medical student at Vets University whose real name is Tabo Muachi. The SABC caught up with Maachi following the news of Majosi's latest accolade. It's really, really interesting to see that, that we are being recognized as Africans yeah, for the music that we make. Initially, we're just doing what we do best. Like most songs on her album are really true reflection of who she is. She... Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoku. Good morning. South Africa's state arms manufacturer, Denal, has notified its employees that they will not receive their full salaries this month. In an internal memorandum leaked to the media, the company says employees will only receive 85% of their salaries and the balance will be paid out at a later stage. During his budget speech in February, Finance Minister Tito Mbowene said the funding requests for SOEs, including SAA, SABC, Denel and ESCOM, have increased, with the several requesting state support just to continue operating. Thousands of trade stakeholders have converged in South Africa, Johannesburg, for CITAX, one of Africa's largest trade exhibitions. Government officials, diplomats, entrepreneurs and business leaders from around the world meet at CITAX to discuss trade opportunities. And more than 140 exhibitors from 17 countries are showcasing thousands of products across all major import and export categories. Event director at DMG Event, Lynn Achamia. 
We have uh, Sri Lanka, China, Vietnam, uh, Botswana, India, Turkey, Poland, Algeria. Um, yes, we have from all across the world that converge here at Gallagher to come and exhibit at SciTex. And also Africa's Big Seven is a show, a food and beverage show, right alongside SciTex too. So collectively we have over 500 exhibitors. Namibia and Germany have signed the second phase of bilateral agreement for financial cooperation on Monday. The cooperation is meant for priority areas outlined in the national development plans. The agreement was signed by Finance Minister Kalle Schleuten and outgoing German Ambassador to Namibia Christian Schlager. A Barclays Bank Botswana, one of the leading banks in the country, has disclosed that most of its competition will face in future will emanate from non-bank financial institutions, partly due to consumer trends. This was disclosed by immediate former managing director Renette van der Merwe in the company's latest annual report published in the week. Now, the lender, which is publicly listed, has posted sustained profits in recent years, reversing prior years of tumbling profits, but acknowledges that they need to be prepared for the future. With non-bank firms, which among others include micro-lenders and some select telecoms of firms, which offer mobile money services. The Ugandan public has expressed concern about the government's ability to implement the budget proposals comprehensively. The members of the public said the budget proposals were easy to read, but walk in the talk be much harder. Other members of the public also noted that there was little value for taxpayers' money. This was during the National Post-Budget Dialogue for the financial 2019-2020 in the capital Kampala. The U.S. dollar is at 358.93 Nigerian Nara, 10.50 in Botswana, 100 Kenyan shillings 61 cents and 12.91 Zambian guacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 3.82 Brazilian roll, 62.83 Russian ruble, 69.38 Indian rupee, 6.87 Chinese yuan, 14.33 to the South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 78 pence to the British pound, 87 cents to the euro. Commodities markets gold $1,431, platinum $814 pounds. The price of brand crude oil is at $64.28 a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoku on your favorite channel. Our sports update up next with Neto Chimani. Thank you, Lulu. A very good morning to all sport fans. Starting off with cricket news. 
Bangladesh boosted their bid to reach the World Cup semi-finals as Shakiba Al-Hassan's superb all-round display inspired a 62-run win over Afghanistan last night. Shakib's 51 laid the foundations for Bangladesh to score 262 for 7 and made him the leading run scorer in this year's World Cup. The 32-year-old then ripped through the Afghan betting lineup with his career-best ODI figures of 5 for 29 from 10 overs. Shakib is only the second player in the World Cup history to take five wickets and hit 50 in the same match after India's Yufraj Singh against Ireland in 2011. Bangladesh winners against South Africa and the West Indies earlier in the tournament are up to fifth place in the top 10 in the top team top 10 group stage. They sit on point one point behind fourth place to England who face Australia today in the race to seal a semi-final berth via a top four finish. Proteus captain Faf Duplessis has labelled their performance at the ICC Cricket World Cup as mediocre following their 49-run loss to Pakistan yesterday on Sunday. The, the Proteus have lost five out of seven matches, registering only one victory against Afghanistan after registering their first point with a washout against New Zealand. Duplessis says it is tough accepting the reality of having dismally crashed out of the world showpiece. You know, it's tough, but we're slowing at the moment. Um, you know, I've tried certainly my best to try and make sure that we can get stronger, try and get better. And I, and I thought before today, even though we are losing, I did feel that there was a, an upward curve in the cricket that we were playing. We started doing more things right um, since the Afghanistan game, New Zealand game. We played a good game of cricket. You know, one or two things perhaps we could have done a little bit better. But today, then taking a step back. Two steps forward, one steps back. Doesn't that's not a great team for me? We are sitting at that mediocre team at the moment because we're making the same mistakes um, all the time. So yeah, the, I'll go back and do exactly the same as we did last week. You know, trying to make sure that you have to keep trying. You can't, unfortunately, you can't go away. South Africa's national women's hockey team will face Wales or Spain in the semi-finals of the FIH Series Finals in Valencia, Spain on Wednesday. South Africa finished top of Pool B after a 2 all draw against Wales in their first match. They then went on to beat Italy 2-1 in their second match before threshing Thailand 7-0 in their final Pool B match on Saturday. The tournament is being used as a qualifier for next year's Tokyo Olympic Games. Team Vice-Captain Pumele Lembande reflects on the work the team has put in thus far in the tournament. So the team's obviously feeling quite positive. Um, I mean, we ended at the top of our pool on Saturday, which is quite nice. Uh, it's nice to achieve that goal because it's one of the things we set out to do. But we're all, I think, very aware of the fact that we're now in a very different phase of the tournament. Um, with us ending top of the pool means we don't have to play a quarterfinal um, like, the, like the rest of the group. So I think it's been nice to have the race that we've had, but we're now actually starting to refocus and regroup to make sure that we don't lose track of everything because we obviously playing one game less um, and it's easy to, to, get, to stagnate in that time. So we just want to make sure we're focused. 
In tennis news, the defending champion Caroline Wozniacki started her grass court season brightly, while the top remaining seed Carolina Pliskova moved into the round three at Eastbourne last night. Newly crowned world number one Ashley Party withdrew from the Wimbledon tune-up due to an arm injury after her efforts in winning the Birmingham Classic on Sunday. That means world number three Pliskova is the highest ranked player in the draw and she became the first player into the last 16 with a 6-3 6-3 win over Russia's Markati Kasparan. Nigeria's women's national football team have returned home after crashing out of the FIFA Women's World Cup on Saturday. The African champions went down 3-0 to Germany in their last round of 16 this past weekend. The loss also meant that Nigeria have failed to win a knockout game in all eight tournaments they have participated in. Coach Thomas Deneby reflects on his team's performance. I'm proud of seeing the improvement of the team, that we are doing better and better. proud that we went to the knockout stage. I'm not happy for going out in the round of 16, but I'm happy that we were the first team since 1999 that been in the knockout stage. But we still have a lot to do, and we have to keep on working on a daily basis. That's the only way you can develop a team, and that is absolutely crucial that we have uh, time together. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto N.E.T.O. Chemani. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, Rise and Shine at the Sawa. DRC opposition leader Jean-Pierre Bemba returns home. And Zimbabwe's president says a sale of ivory stocks could fund conservation. That wraps up Africa, Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzura Magaza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. And taking us to the top of our for the news on DSTV audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za is Femi Koya with a song titled Babalao. Bye.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, mama, for what I said, I read. 